This is West Coast Project, and we're here for Better Call Saul. My name is Mike. And I'm Jamie. Hey, Jamie. What the heck was that? Jamie, that was a chimp with a machine gun. Dude. There's actually a video of it. Some West African soldiers literally give a chimp a machine gun. No, they didn't. And they mock how to use it because he just, he first he just grabs it and he looks at it like, what the hell am I supposed to do? And so they kind of show him. And he uses it and they run. <laughs> and we have a video, we have a copy of the, or we have the link to the video on our West Coast Project uh, show notes so you can check it out. Oh, God. <laughs> but Jamie, we're here for Pimento 109. You nailed it on the Pimento sandwich for sure. I did, didn't I? You know, and I have to tell you something, Mike. I had a weird moment. Now, we both know I'm, like, way, way, way overscheduled, and so it could be just the side effect of me being so tired all the time. But I had a moment of deja vu with that scene, and we got to talk about it when we get to it because I could swear that I've seen that before somewhere. Yeah, well, I think so, too. I think it's... uh... I think it's uh, a place we've seen before. Okay, so a place, yeah. I got you on that one. But the scene itself, I really, like, my brain was telling me, you've seen this before. Like, it looked really familiar. All right, like, well, let's go through it. We'll get to it when we when we get to that part of the recap. All right. This is 109 Pimento. It's directed by Tom Schnauz, one of the creators and writers. Love, um, love Schnauz. He's so funny. And um, it starts out with Jimmy and Saul out on the bench. Very pleasing little scene here. They're brotherly. They're having a good time talking. Uh, Jimmy, and first of all, uh, Chuck's up. Jimmy and Saul. Jimmy and Chuck, sorry. Chuck, <laughs> Jimmy's encouraging Chuck to be out on the bench with his toes in the grass and being outside in the sunlight. Even though they're near the, the transformer, he's encouraging him, like, it's okay. Everything's going to be cool. Yeah. Being a good brother. Yeah. I'm so mad. I'm so mad, Mike. I'm mad because you're right. You were right. Well, what's the, you know, and the engine of all stories is conflict. They can't be getting along. There has to be conflict to make this thing work. I guess so, but geez Louise. It is torture, though. Um, Chuck tutoring Jimmy in the beginning and being nice to him and helping him. And Jimmy helping Chuck makes the whole mess, the ending of this whole mess, even worse. It really does. It's heartbreaking. I'm so mad. I, uh, I can't even talk about it right now. <laughs> so it was a really short opening scene, too. That was it. It was just a little bench scene. They go in the house because they have a lot of work to do in the credits roll. It was re- really short compared to some of the other ones. Yeah, short and sweet. Um, next, when we come back, Mike is delivering a dog to Stacy and Kaylee. Um, And Stacy's reluctant to keep it, but Kaylee looks like she loves that little doggy. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think that was a question of the dog can stay, so can Mike stay? Uh, What do you think the reason was for the dog? 
No, I think I think Mike is just being pop pop. I think he's, you know, he's in grandpa mode. He's, you know, he loves Kaylee and he's fond of or loves Stacy. So why not? That's what grandpas do. Hey, Jimmy, I've been listening to a couple other podcasts. There's a really good one. You know, really good, but I like it a lot. It's called um, It's All Good, Man. It's two guys from Chicago do it. It's really funny. They're really pretty good at it. They have a really good rapport with each other. And um, they said that maybe the dog was Mike's reason to be at the vet all the time. Because this vet looks like he's the new channel for his criminal, his new doorway to the ABQ criminal empire. Well, it could be. Could be just he picked the dog up while he was, you know, there. Maybe somebody didn't pick up the dog, so he brought it home to Kaylee. I'm always trying to assign good deeds to my favorite protagonists. So. <laughs> yeah, you're looking for the good, good in him. <laughs> Apparently. Well, it's not really a criminal empire, but the criminal underworld of the ABQ that Mike seems to be getting his foothold in more and more nowadays. In fact, he gets a call, and I think it's from this veterinarian dude about this job opportunity that we're going to see a little bit later. Right. And But did you see the look on his face when he took the call? There was a real distaste there. He did not look happy to be doing what he was about to get into. Well, Mike has a disdain for everybody in the world, I think, except for his granddaughter and maybe Stacy. <laughs> who, who else does he like? You're right. You're right. You're probably exactly right. Uh, so we go to another scene with Jimmy and Schweikert in court, the, the lawyer for the Sandpipers or Schweikert. And they're angling for – Jimmy's angling for access to Sandpiper. I guess Schweikert's put some sort of a restraining order on him. Um, Mr. McGill is too loud and flamboyant for my, for my clients. There's old, there's old people in there. And, and Jimmy just kind of says, well, but old people adore me. Yeah. Um, but Jimmy wins. This is a no-brainer, don't you think? Kind of stupid to be – prevented from seeing your clientele just because they're in a in an old folks home or uh elderly helper home right and that's what chuck explains later right like that he's going to just throw him every little thing that he can at them um to present a roadblock as i guess maybe to either wear them out or wear out their resources or something yeah, Jimmy wins this little argument or this little – doesn't get the, the the restraining order or whatever, gets it lifted. And he comes home and he's on fire, tells Chuck he's on fire. That's right. No smoke. It's me. I'm on fire. <laughs> um, yeah, and you're right. They do get a bunch of shit delivered over to Chuck's house. Uh, depositions and crap. Litigants not competent to file. They're going to get drowned in paperwork and – Jimmy's looking to Big Brother Chuck for direction here. That's right. Um, and Chuck has the hard facts, and he's probably right about this, but the facts are facts, Jimmy. What we're facing is too big, so we have to take it to HHM. Right. And in light of, of what happens later, I just don't, I don't get that. It just seems even worse. Yeah, it was a cool scene though. The the I don't know if you caught this, but in the dark room as they're talking, it's pretty quiet in there. Chuck's talking, and he says this case will take years. And in the background of the room, there was a sound effect of the of the clock ticking. Really cool. It was in the, it was in another quiet scene later. So they're you know they're not losing their touch on getting these all these tiny little details that really enrich the scene so so well. They, you know what? I have to tell you, I really think that 
um, honestly, they, they've gotten even better at what, what it is that they do, giving us a real tapestry to, um, to sort of look at the, the, the weave of and the threads of in each episode. Um, I think they're doing it better on BCS than they did even on Breaking Bad. They've, these guys have got their game really together. Well, they've assembled the A-team of whatever people they need to make this all work really well. So maybe that's part of it. Well, it, of course it is. It's, you know, you and I talked about how um, how this is a really collaborative medium, but these guys are just, you know, it, it, and I, I'm not trying to uh, <laughs> to sort of, um, you know, advertise for us, but, you know, we do the Americans um, together, and, and on the Americans we've talked about how really taught the the storytelling is uh, there and how well it's put together and I referenced one time and said that um, that um, that I talked about Edgar Allan Poe's theory about storytelling saying that all of the, the 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 disparate parts of a story should work together to create a cohesive whole and I'm seeing that now and especially with the things that you notice um, so much uh, in in Better Call Saul. It's it's really um, not just fascinating. It feels like a gift, you know. You know what it feels like? It feels like that the people who make this show respect their audience. Yeah, they give a lot of credit for them, for us, them, whatever, being super intelligent, catching these things. Yeah. So they put in the tiny little details, little little Easter eggs. Even watching this twice, when I knew what Chuck was up to, it was really interesting to watch, like, from that angle of knowing that Chuck was doing this nefarious, you know, bullshit to set Jimmy up. It was, it was interesting from that side, too. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. And, and, and you know, it's like, I've, I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you, but I've watched Breaking Bad, like, through, the entire series through, at least four or five times. And, you know, I found something new every time I watched it. I never got tired of watching the episodes, I only quit because I started school. <laughs> that's the only reason I quit because I don't, you know, I don't watch a lot of stuff. Well, on that's TV. no reason to quit watching television. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, but, yeah, I, um, you know, I found something new in every episode every time I watched it, and um, you know, just like that thing I noticed about the, uh, you know, the final scene of Breaking Bad. Um, that I initially actually emailed you about to try to prove what a, an awesome fan and noticer I was of, of the show. Um, you know, it's that kind of stuff that you go back and you can watch the thing five, six, seven times and not notice something and then pick it up on the seventh watch, you know, and, and think, wow, you know, and it blows you away every time. What was that final scene? I've forgotten. And maybe that Easter egg would be enjoyable for other listeners. Well, it might be. Um, actually, uh, I, I, the, in the, um, the episode arc where Gail um, was working in the lab with uh, Walt, and he recited the Walt Whitman poem um, uh, when I, I think it's when I heard the learned astronomer or when I, something like that, the learned astronomer poem. The imagery in that poem um, if you read like the last portion of it, is exactly what happens to Walt 
in the last scene of the series. Like, and I'll invite our listeners to go back and read it. Um, you know, it's the, it's like all of it, just read it. And then, then uh, tweet me about it if you see what I saw. When the camera rises away and leaves Walt in the lab, you mean? Well, no. I mean, it's like the whole thing when he walks off into the darkness and then, you know, he gazes up at the stars. I can't remember. I've forgotten. I don't have the the poem uh, memorized. But um, it's like the whole, like that whole last portion um, of the scene when he, once he's alone... It's the same as the end of that poem. And that was just, that was definitely on purpose. Yeah. And, um, and it was just, it was so amazing. And I think I'm the only person who noticed it because <laughs> I haven't, I looked for it. As soon as I realized what it was, I went and looked and tried to see if I could find anybody talking about it on the internet. And I couldn't find anybody doing it. Oh, uh, that is pretty cool. Yeah. You should, you should uh, start a Reddit thread or something. Yeah, maybe so. People are going to watch. If they haven't seen Breaking Bad, they're going to start watching it because of this show, I think. Oh, I agree. So back to this, um, Jimmy agrees kind of reluctantly that Chuck's right. We do have to go to HHM, or that is that is the thing to do. And he says, hail Satan, uh, <laughs> kind of smart-assedly. Um, now Chuck turns out the camp lights and gets the phone from the mailbox, and now we know what he was up to here. But what did you think he was up to, Jamie, when you first saw this? You know, um, I have a problem. I have a problem, and and it's starting. I've 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 started to notice it sort of affect my uh, my opinions as they come about on this show. My problem is this: I do not see the sinister thing. Like I always see the thing that's like you know Easter and cupcakes and birthdays and bunnies and walks in the park. I never see the bad stuff. Remember the um, on the Americans, there was this naked scene uh, between two characters. It was a comical scene, and I did not see the naked people until I'd been looking at this screen for maybe 15, 20 seconds. Didn't see them, and they were in the middle of the screen. And then last week, um, there was a scene where um, one of the characters picked up a really risque item of clothing. I thought it was a scarf. I don't see stuff. So when I saw Chuck go out there and pick up the phone and try to use it. I didn't think anything. I was like, oh, Chuck's going to make a phone call. Well, how brave of him. Well, I wonder if it feels really crackly in his ear. And, his, you know, I, it just didn't, didn't occur to me. It was a blowtorch, a blowtorch. <laughs> blowtorch, yeah. <laughs> so we get, we get to a commercial break here. And next we come back to that garage we're talking about, the parking garage building. Uh-huh. I think that was that it sure looked like anyway the parking garage where Gus was when he he got the sixth sense about Walt putting the bomb on his car. Yeah, that's what I thought it was too. It looked like it, didn't it? It did. And that was where we see Mike waiting um, with his lunch bag with his pimento sandwich. Pimento cheese. And um, really big guy number one shows up and stands there, and then littler big guy number two shows up. Big little or big guy has the big mouth. He's the guy that talks talks it up. That's right. Um, and he says, "Well, may, we'll make sure things fly right for the, they're hired as protection for this guy Price that we're going to meet in a second. And he goes through the gun inventory. <laughs> what are you guys packing? Mike says he's only packing the pimento sandwich. No gun. Pretty interesting. This guy, the way this guy tried to take control of this situation, and then what ultimately happens to him. 
really really elevates Mike up a couple notches. He's not just a cop that knows how to fire straight. He knows criminal stuff. Right. right? He knows if he needs something, he can take it from somebody else. That's right. I thought that was really cool. So the- I'm so blown away. I love Mike. I think Mike is Mike has got my respect as a character, and I loved that. So the schnurdly van driver, the doctor, shows, I guess he's a doctor, some sort of veterinarian or some guy who can get his hands on pills anyway. Um, Price. Price shows up. But Price is his fake name, Jamie. It's his nephew's name. Yeah. And it doesn't do much good to say it's, your fa- it's a fake name if you tell them who the person related to you that it's their name, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he wants their names or fake names other than just, hey, you. He wants something to call them by. Right. Then he goes through this whole routine of describing soft drinks, the n- nearest coffee locale, the bathroom location. He's a freaking den mother. <laughs> yeah. He's a guy from the suburbs. He's totally soft. He's got on his, you know, his um, Saturday afternoon polo shirt and his glasses. And I mean, he looks like. He needs some somebody to back him up and be his muscle. He's got the nice dress slacks, but the Adidas. Pretty <laughs> yeah. funny. So we find this this little operation he's running. It's five hundred dollars for each of these three guys, but littler big guy with the big mouth tries to muscle in on two of those shares and take Mike out of the picture. Um, right. And Mike just says, "Well, if I need a gun, I'll I'll use one of yours, or I'll take one of his." I guess he's talking to the other people. And the guy, the guy tries to make it easy, and Mike says, well, you can make it a little harder. And he does a really super quick gun grab and a throat punch and then goes through the full body inventory <laughs> yeah. of the loudmouth guy. And then the really big guy just turns and runs away. <laughs> He's like, I don't want a piece of this, not for 500 bucks. What well, could be funnier than that? <laughs> that was very enjoyable. He's the biggest, toughest guy. He just runs away like a patsy. <laughs> uh, so Mike throws the guns in the garbage cans, uh, garbage can, and says, "Let's go, one guy. It's me. Just let's do it." The next scene, we cut to Jimmy and Chuck, and Jimmy's. This is the heartbreaking stuff again. Jimmy's still encouraging Chuck. You can do this. He's got a space blanket under his suit, somehow sewn into the lining of his suit. Uh, let's do this. This is just heartbreaking, man. Jimmy really cares for his big brother. Yeah, he really, really does. And you know Jimmy did that. Jimmy put that that spacesuit stuff in the lining of, the, of, of, of his suit. Ugh. And then he finds that his phone is dead. But, you know, people who – people this is a great piece of writing too because people with phones, and we all have phones now, people have habits, right? Some people right. probably always let their phone go dead and they're always looking for a charger. And some people always have their phone plugged in. Right. And Jimmy's one of those guys that always has his phone plugged in. They don't just die. The phone doesn't just run out on them. They're they're ready. They prepare that. Right. And right. so this comes back to Jimmy later, but this is why he's just one of those people with that habit and the writers tapped right into that and it's so valid for them to portray it that way. Right. Yeah, he's, I think he said he always turns his phone off cuz he has to leave it out there and it makes perfect sense. And, you know, he's keeping his phone always with a charge. That's his habit. It's his, you know, the thing he does. And and to go out there and, you know, and it's like any other person, you know, you go out there, you realize like, okay, you go for your phone and your phone's got like, you know, 10% battery and you're thinking, what the heck? 
you know, it shouldn't be. This is, you know, Wednesday at three o'clock. It shouldn't be, you know, like a, you know, 10% battery according to my habits. And it gets inside your brain, like, you know, that little niggling thought, but you don't do anything about it because you can't imagine what might have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I just love them tapping into that. Like we know that instantly. You don't have to think about it. It even just makes sense. Yep. But HHM, the whole crew there is getting ready for Chuck's return. They're taking the phones from everybody and they're powering all the systems down. And it's a grand reception for Chuck. There must be 60 to 80 people there. They're lined, lined up on the mezzanine, the second floor, third floor. They're just all over the place. Yeah. Really nice. Um, they settle into the conference room and it looks like Jimmy's been working still more, Jamie. He's got 68 plaintiffs. And he thinks he may get up to 350 plaintiffs, um, um, litigants that can support the class action suit in th- in over five states. So he's been really still working pretty hard on this. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Putting his heart into it, like we, like like I like to call him Jimmy Jimmy Heart of Gold. So Howard gets all excited discussing the logistics of the case and everything, and Jimmy stops him and backs him up a couple steps to outline the deal. And we learn of the deal, um, 20% of the settlement would go to Jimmy and also a $20,000 a $20, fee, a council fee that Howard called it. Yeah. Um, as, as an off attorney or something, he had some name for it. Yeah. Um, but Jimmy wants the office next to Chuck, Office 312. He's probably wanted this office for years and years, Jamie. Probably. Ever since the mailroom. Yeah. Uh, but he finds out from Howard, um, pretty sadly, he gets dismissed by Howard that this is not going to happen. We want the case, not you. You don't work here. Right. We get another little clue from Chuck. He stands up pretty weakly again, like with his forced voices. And come on, Howard. <laughs> it's kind of a clue, isn't it, that this that he's fronting his his disappointment? Not to me. Went straight over my head. I didn't see it. Yeah, Hamlin and Chuck are dancing in total concert here. This is all pre-planned. Yeah. Yeah, Chuck's the real boss of this place. You know, we know that now. Chuck sucks, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Chuck definitely sucks. So Jimmy says, well, I'll turn it down. I'll burn this case to the ground if you're just going to give me a measly 20%. I want to work here. And Howard says, okay, okay, then. That's what you want. That's what you can do. Now, Jamie, why would Howard do this? That's this is a lot for him to lose by just saying, "Okay, take it down." Then I don't, I don't want to fight you. You just said it. You said it. You said it. Chuck is the rock star. Chuck put him up to this. I know, but what if Jimmy said, "Screw it, I really will take it down. I really will burn it to the ground." I think that Howard would have let it go. Ooh, I don't know. I, well, I think he might have been playing a little bit of poker here. Well, I, I can't I, I can't imagine what else he might do if Chuck is his partner and, you know, Chuck says no, you know, and Chuck, well, God, Chuck is such an ass, you know, he was probably really, really convincing Howard that, you know, Jimmy didn't deserve a chance and that maybe Jimmy would reflect badly on the firm and maybe not be worth all the money that was going to come from this suit. I think I heard this philosophy or this theory on 
It's All Good Man, that other podcast. Um, we got to do our podcast earlier because I'm getting infected by these other podcasts that are pretty good. But we, we hear later Chuck and Jimmy talking about the nuclear option. Jimmy mm-hmm. says, you're the nuclear option. You can you can threaten to use it by saying you're, you're going to quit, right? And then they'll have to do what you, whatever you want to do. Their philosophy was, do you think maybe Chuck dropped the nuclear option with Howard and said, if you hire Jimmy, I'm going to quit? He may have. I mean, they're brothers. You know, they may think alike. So maybe. But Howard does say, okay, you know, you're, you're on your own. It's your decision. And we get, a, get another commercial break. It's just so awful. We get to see a Kim now. Kim comes in and asks Howard for an explanation, and Howard gets mad at her. So we're still believing, right? We're still kind of thinking, okay, this kind of plays along with everything. Howard's an ass. He's not letting Jimmy in. Kim's getting met, getting railed and ranted at by Howard for even asking. Um, and I was wrong about Kim, Jamie. I thought she was on the going to be on the bad side of this, but she really isn't. She stands up for Jimmy really strongly. Like twice, maybe two and a half times, she doesn't just leave when she's told to leave. Right, right, yeah. And um, the anger from Howard, from her keep keeping on asking, is I think the anger is that he's frustrated that he's being forced to do this. Right, exactly. And that's why you get that eye roll and then the sigh at the end when he tells her, come in, you know, I'll explain it. Um, you know, or come back, I'll explain or whatever. Yeah, Howard's actually a really decent guy. You know, he turns out to be a pretty damn good guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, we need a little comedy relief, a little comedic relief here. So let's go back to Price. Okay. Price and Mike do the pills deal. Yeah. Um, Price wants to know the sequence. Do I count to three and then do we count to three and then simultaneously exchange the money and the pills? (laughs) Could you picture that, Jamie? (laughs) <laughs> one, two, three. All right, criminal guy, ready? One, two, three, switch. <laughs> Mike says, Mike gives him the, the way to do it, though, right? Take the money, count it, and hand over the pills. The less talking you do, the better. Right. All right, so Nacho shows up. It's pretty cool to see Nacho again. Yeah, that was interesting. Shows up in his van. Yep. Um, Jamie, did you catch the photography? photography here more uh, treats from the production crew three um, three smoke three smokestacks in the in the factory behind them three dudes it's nacho price and mike in perfect symmetry with the smokestacks didn't see it Let's oh man you gotta go back and watch it i will i will price does it exactly the way mike describes to do it and it's perfect right it's, it gets the money counts it but it's twenty dollars short and uh, Price starts to say, well, that's okay, but Mike demands it. Right. De- deals a deal. <laughs> um, and Nacho drops the bill like an ass and kind of makes him grovel and chase it in the wind. Exactly. Yeah. But there's, but there's a method to Mike's madness, as, as usual. And uh, I, I liked the explanation. Yeah. So Price delivers the goods. It's 80 milligram pills of some kind. What do you think the pills were, Jamie? Well, I can't guess what they were. I can I can tell you what they weren't. They were not blue sky. <laughs> they were not blue meth. But um, but other than that, I have no probably oxycodone or um, some sort of you know morphine based um, opiate type 
medication. How about the meth precursor? What, whatever they used to have to steal, the Sudafed or whatever, to make into meth? Do you think it might have been? Nah. No? Nah. No. 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 I, I mean, you wouldn't have, like, a big drug deal going on with some nah. No. Not with some. Not, not, these guys are too upper level to be buying precursor. They're not the grunts making the stuff. Right. Okay. Well, the van drives off. Mike gets paid. And Price asks him how he knew. How did you know this would happen? And Mike gives a really cool explanation here. His, his whole criminal philosophy, I think, is super interesting. Mike's a super, super interesting guy to have in this show. Uh, he says, I put in the legwork, and Nacho Varga is doing this deal outside of his crew, so it had to go smooth, smoothly. He doesn't need trouble because he's kind of screwing over his regular crew. And Mike says, if you do your homework, you're going to be a better criminal, essentially. Um, That's right. And then he puts the whole weight of are you going to be a criminal or not? Are you going to be a good criminal or a bad criminal? He puts the weight of that decision right on top of price. So he has to, he has to realize it, right? He has to make that decision. Yeah. And what he said was, you know, no matter what choice you make from here, you are a criminal. You have made this choice. You've stolen whatever you stole and sold it to somebody for a profit. You are a criminal. Now you have to choose whether you're going to be a good one or a bad one. So awesome. Yep. All right. We get another commercial break, and then Jimmy pulls up to the nail salon. Um, I thought it was interesting, Jamie, that it's he's now he's he's Jimmy. He's more Jimmy now than Saul. I don't know. It's it's kind of the opposite of how we started this this series, right? How's that? You know what I'm trying to say? He's more Jimmy when we talk about him now. He's Jimmy. He's not Saul. Like I used to call him Saul all the time. Oh. Like now, uh. I, now I mistakenly call him Saul. I see what you're saying. I see right? what you're saying. He's, well, yeah. I used to call him Saul all the time. I'm just going to call him Saul because I know him as Saul. Now I know him as Jimmy. He's more Jimmy than Saul. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's the cool thing about this. And I think we talked about this a couple of episodes ago. We don't know Saul. It, like, you know, what we saw of Saul in Breaking Bad was a really, really, really small piece of what a real full human being is. It was a very small slice of a person's psyche or personality, um, very superficial and very uh, much uh, created persona. So we don't know him. And as we get to know Jimmy slash Saul, we get to know this guy and we're, we're learning the Jimmy part of him. So it's natural, I think. Yeah, as they're peeling back this onion skin, it's interesting that that's what makes it so interesting, right? We're learning all these things about this guy, Saul, that we thought were like, oh, he's this... He's this clown of a lawyer that's just an ambulance chaser, and he's into a, dabbles in a little criminality. But he's really an interesting person. He's a more well well rounded person, really. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's what happens when you get to be the main character, you know. And and these folks write compelling characters. So I had a note at the end to ask you this at the end, but this is a good spot to ask it. Can Jimmy become Saul too quickly for us in this show? Like, I need more Jimmy. I think we need more Jimmy. Jimmy can't be Saul at the end of the series in one, or at the end of the season in one more episode. I want to see more Jimmy. 
You know, I want to see what That's happened. To, we already kind of know Saul. He's like a he's a strip mall lawyer, right? Yeah, sort of. I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like we never really got to know Saul at all. Um, but I know what you mean. We know the flavor of Saul because we got to know that over the years on Breaking Bad. Um, and I know exactly what you mean. But I think what we really want, and that's and we can call him whatever we want to call him. We can call him Jimmy because that's who he is right now. What we really want is to know what makes this guy tick. No matter what name he puts on his business cards, we want to know this guy because there's something real there. There's something that 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 was a part of who he is, who he was on Breaking Bad. That's a part of who he is now. It may be a little kernel, um, you know. It could be something that's just kind of simmering under the surface there. But this guy is really compelling to watch because he is a good guy. He does want to be a good guy, but he struggles mightily with doing the right thing. Because luck is not on his side, ever. So you think you've seen enough of him to, to, to move ahead into him being Saul, like you accept that he's just been disappointed so many times that now he's going to just try to do the Saul type stuff? No, I'm, I'm with you. I want to get to know more about Jimmy. And, and, I, you know, and here's what I think. I think this guy is not someone who takes initiative toward bad things unless he's in a real pinch. And he's not in that name game pinch yet. I think something's going to happen that's going to force him to sort of take a different name, whether it's Chuck, you know, not wanting him to practice under his own name or whatever it is that, that comes to be. I think that it's going to be a pressured situation for Jimmy. Um, and so I don't think of it as being that as soon as he takes the name Saul, that he's the guy we knew on Breaking Bad. I think that there's more to him. Jimmy will evolve into Saul more slowly. Well, yeah, and, and, and I don't know if he's evolving into Saul. I think that he is evolving as a person because I don't I don't see... Saul Goodman of Breaking Bad as being this like completed person or personality. I, I don't see him that way. I, I I see Jimmy as someone who is learning in a really terrible way that the world is not friendly to him. Yeah, and- his skills his skills just don't seem to quite match up with whatever little legal world he's in now the big nice office and the mahogany conference table you said that at the very beginning you're right about that that he's he's trying but it's not match it's just not click clicking for him yeah 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 and 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 and, you know and i don't think that he goes you know um breaking bad walter white walter white descended into darkness he took a linear path I don't see Jimmy doing that. I don't see him as the same sort of character. And I don't think that Vince Gilligan would write that same sort of arc again. I think he did that once, and I don't think he'll do it again. 
So I don't know what Jimmy's evolution is going to be, but I don't see him sort of, you know, coming, going into an incubation kind of, and coming out fully formed as bad Saul. You know, I, I don't see it like that. Yeah. Um, I see it as a much more nuanced um, uh, character path. It's really inter- It's really in- easy to see Saul taking the disappearer route and being in the Cinnabon in, in Omaha, but it's almost impossible to see Jimmy doing it at at this point, anyway. I I think I think I understand what you're saying, and I think you're right. So so it's going to be interesting to see this whole transition. It it is a lot like Walt though. Walt broke bad, and we, he went through a change. Jimmy's going to go through some interesting sort of a change that um, I don't think it's going to be linear, like you said, but it's going to be something interesting. And when and how is going to be really, really interesting. So, yeah, I, I just I don't see him as being like I don't know. I, I don't see Saul as being too terribly far off from from Jimmy really honestly the only thing i see is that he's kind of given up on his idealism you know that's the thing i, I think that that uh, disip- that's gone from from Saul that's present in Jimmy the hope and the idealism i think is gone but i think the rest of him is pretty much intact i don't see him as being a terribly bad guy so i i don't know um yeah. it's It'll be interesting to see what the writers bring to it, because as we know, I I tend to look at the bright side, so <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's it. Um, check out those other podcasts, though. You you Jamie and people listening, it's all good, man. And Bald Move has a really good one. Um, they're they're really good. And I'm sorry, I can't remember which one which one is which, as I remember some of these things that I heard, but. I mean, they, they they remembered Saul, too. Like, Saul was really upset when Brock got poisoned. He was really t- kind of tweaked by that. He didn't like that when he had to do that. And the other time he was really tweaked was when they, he had to make the fake call when Hank was closing in on them in, in the RV. He had to make, you know, that excuse that Marie was hurt. Right. And that seemed to really tweak him, too. So there there are some goodnesses left, some some remnants of Jimmy in Saul. Right. But like I, I said, I mean, I, I really don't see it as being that kind of like, oh, you know, Jimmy disappeared. That's a name. I mean, like, you know, it's like when he first met Walt, he said, you know, the name's McGill. I just use Goodman for the homeboys. Yeah. No, he's not. He's not disappeared. It's not. I don't believe that, though. I don't believe it's a marketing ploy. You know, the tribe or whatever he calls it, the pipe-hitting tribe. It works better for, for the tribe. I don't believe it's marketing. I think it's, I think it's a transformation that he's going through. Well, I, I think that part of it might be a transformation. I, I know what you mean. I think that's true. But I don't think that Jimmy disappears. I think that he is who he is. Yeah, I guess we're both kind of saying the same thing. It's just thinking out loud. It's... I just I just hope after next week we don't see Saul in the strip mall. You know, I want to see more Jimmy. I want to see more time with Jimmy. Well, okay, so I don't think we have anything to worry about when it comes to that because these guys are they they have their their pens and their keyboards firmly in hand. They're not going to let us down as far as story goes. So even if we saw Saul on the on the strip mall, I think we'd still have Jimmy. Okay. 
Well, let's jump back to the scene. Um, Kim, we're at the nail salon, and Kim's waiting for Jimmy. He, she's there somehow before him, and he's ready to drink and rant about Howard. He has three, three or four different kinds of liquor. Um, <laughs> and Kim just says, take the deal, dude. Take the deal. Find yourself. Be your own man on other deals someday, but take this deal. It sounds dismissive at the time when we hear her say this, but now we know why. We know that Howard told her. We know what Howard told her when she he, you know, he let her back in and closed the door and talked to her. Right. Um, and she's being protective of Jimmy. She doesn't want him to know this Chuck betrayal. She's trying to shield him. Maybe he, he obviously is ultimately going to know sometime, but maybe let him down a little bit easier. Right. So she's saying, take the deal. And Jimmy misunderstands this, and probably a big portion of the, of the audience still does. And he sends her away, like, oh, you're just on Howard's side, and you're doing what's good for you. And, I mean, I misunderstood it a little bit at this point. It, it's, you know, it's like that confession. We were tricked here again by Gilligan, that bastard, man. It's <laughs> like the confession that nobody saw coming from Walt and Skyler when we, when we heard confession and they're making the recording like, wow, Walt's going to confess here to Hank. But he pulls the he pulls the 180 and does the sideways. So brilliant, man. So freaking brilliant. Yeah, he sure is. So Jimmy opens his phone and something clicks. And that was the whole thing about the habits. I think we we talked earlier. Just like, wait a minute, I don't forget to plug my phone in. And he and he kind of realizes here. I think with this phone that he has, to, he's frustrated that it's out of power and he has to plug it in. All right, so we go we go back to Chuck's house now. Chuck's whistling to himself, and Jimmy catches him. And this was just like for me, it was like Walt whistling when Je- Jesse caught him. The time in the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <gasps> such a great analysis like i'm really sad about drew dying and so sad 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 but he's whistling when he thinks no one's watching right and now chuck's doing the same thing he's whistling and jimmy catches him kind of walks in on him um now i also listen jamie to the insider podcast so here i am blathering on about these other podcasts but they had something really interesting to talk about this week and they say they they talked about how the story changes when the writers see how the characters act. And they actually made Chuck the bad guy instead of Howard when they saw Michael McKeon act as Chuck. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, you know, that is that, um, that brand of storytelling that uh, Vince Gilligan does. He calls it organic storytelling. And it is, it is um, really unique because that is exactly what it's it's dependent on the stories and the characters they their their guiding principle their guiding um action is is that they make the characters true to themselves would this character truly truly do this can we make this action something that's or that's organic to the character to their personality their motivations and so on and so forth and um and that's how they that's how the stories develop and that's why they're so believable and that's why you can have those knock you on the floor moments like the one that we just talked about um you know that was uh similar to the one to the confessions episode um in the sense that it completely took you by surprise that's why that kind of storytelling works because it's it's true to the character always 
I mean, that's the the bottom line is, you know, would the character really truthfully, honestly be able to do this? And what what's the direction that they would go in? What's the truest, most honest direction that the character would go in? What choice would they make? And yeah, that, that, that actor, the input of that actor taking those written words really makes a big, big difference is part of the whole recipe. Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. They did it with Jesse, too. Jesse was supposed to be killed in the first episode of Breaking Bad, and they let him live because he was such a dynamic character. Yeah. All right. Well, they talk. Um, Jimmy tells Chuck he's going to take the money, and um, I can't figure out this math, Jamie. This is also very interesting. It's not frustrating that I don't figure it out. It's very interesting. If Jimmy takes the deal... And gets the money. He gets twenty percent of twenty million. That's four million, right? How how does he? Where did it go? <laughs> you know, he's in Breaking Bad. He's in a shitty strip mall. He doesn't. He doesn't. He could be in that nice office that he that he checked out. Right. Well, I guess the you know the case doesn't happen. Or does he take the deal but get no money? I don't know. Does he get in trouble for something where he's like? disbarred and has to come back or what the hell happens you know where did that big money go 20 percent of 20 million pretty decent change there well i i don't know i mean i have a feeling that things kind of got burnt to the ground after the end of this episode maybe nothing happened it's a lock and it's open and shut case though according to you know these smart lawyers howard thinks it's like open and shut no problem we got already got X many people, we're going to get five times that many people, and he's got all these great smart lawyers working on it. Yeah, but it's, uh, you know, this is Jimmy's case. And Jimmy said he told Howard what he would do, and that if it didn't work out, if he didn't hire him, that he'd burn the whole thing to the ground and go to the uh, the old folks at Sandpiper and tell them and, and ruin the name of HHM. He's not messing around, and he's so angry. I'm quite certain he felt comfortable doing that. So why does he tell... Because now he knows now that Chuck's on the wrong side of this. He tells him he's going to take the money. You think he's just trying to get a rise out of Chuck? Because he does paint some other false scenarios here. He's, he's like, it's great, going to be great working with you, storming the gates... Um, you know, all this all this stuff. And then he kind of raises the, hey, Chuck, just for fun, you should quit. You should use, use the nuclear option. You're not really going to quit. Just see what it – it's a test, right? See what – you know, if you, if you really want to work with me, if that's what you really want, <laughs> um, he, he sets up some false scenarios. But he knows he, – he really knows the truth now. He says, you called him. You called ha- Hamlin. Yeah, man. Wow. That hit me out of left field. I was not prepared for that moment. Well, Odenkirk hit it out of left field. He he kills the scene. He did. McKeon, too. McKeon's really good in this scene, too. He is. Yeah, he is. He's really good. And that's, you know, that's one of the, those, um, those I, I don't know what they call that kind of acting, where you're the... the you're the one that's kind of, um, what do they call it? The straight guy. You're playing the straight man. In comedy, you're the straight man. Well, I don't know what it's called in drama, but that's what Michael McKeon was. He was kind of receiving. He was like, in grammar uh, terminology, he would be the direct object of the sentence. You know, he's, he's the one that's receiving the action that's being performed by the subject. And, uh, and so um, 
you know, even though he was less noticeable in the scene, his acting was perfect. Well, he has some good adjectives for his brother. For fraternal pride is super powerful, and I'm a guy. I have brothers. I know, and I have older. I have big brothers. All my brothers are big brothers, so I know the feeling. It's really, really powerful. You want to please your big brothers. You want them to be proud of you. You know, you want to do well so that they look at you like, "Oh, you did great, little brother." You know, it's just super powerful. And and Chuck calls him a joke here. You're not even a real lawyer. You're slipping Jimmy. Come on, University of American Samoa. You're a chimp with a machine gun. Um, you got to watch that video too, Jamie. It's really funny. After the chimp, after the chimp fires the gun, he holds it over his head like a chimp on TV would do. Like, woohoo! Look what I did. With both hands, he holds it over his head. <laughs> but did, did did Chuck say that? Yeah, he calls him a chimp with a machine gun. Wow. You with a law degree? You with a law degree? You're a chimp. Why do you think I played that? You think I just like chimp with machine gun movies? I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, he's proud of him as a male boy, the mailroom boy, but not a brother who's a lawyer. Now, his vanity, you know, that's his vanity, Chuck's vanity. It's Absolutely. Like you, you can't be as good as me. Your place is my little brother notches below me. You know, and here's the thing, Mike, and this is this is why you're brilliant. That day, that episode with Jimmy told Chuck, and you and I had a conversation on this podcast about whether Chuck was really proud of Jimmy. And I was, oh, yeah, of course he was. He was proud of him. And you were saying, I don't know. He didn't seem very proud initially. And you were right. Well, I was wrong about Kim. I thought she was up to something negative, too. Maybe she still is. Well, we'll see. Maybe. So Jimmy says, I've got the last set of supplies for you, big brother. I've got you some bacon and eggs and steaks, but then I'm done. As soon as those run out, you're on your own. And he leaves and screams away in his car. Good for him. All right. So that was it for 109. Um, Jamie, I sneak peeked a couple of the next ons. (laughs) Couldn't help it. They come right on after the freaking show. (laughs) Um, Jimmy's doing some angry bingo, which looks really funny. So we got to look forward to that. Okay. Angry bingo at whatever old folks place he's at. And (laughs) the fat smoke on the water guy is back. What? The, the smoke on the water guy who did the fake wallet and watch slip back in the early, early part of the series. Okay. (laughs) All right, cool. You don't remember that guy? I don't, but see, I wasn't watching it twice back then because I wasn't podcasting with you about it back then. It's the then. guy, they walk out of the bar, Jimmy and another guy, and he's the mark, and they find the fat guy in the ground, and they find Oh, that's watch. right. Yeah, okay. All right. So he's back? Yeah. Forget what he says. Something like, but, 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 but. He does smoke <laughs> on the water. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He's on next. And so 110, the 10th and final episode is Marco. Um, right. We'll see who Marco is. So, Jamie, this is West Coast Project, and this is Better Call Saul. And my way to reach me on Twitter is at Scathing Tweets. How do people reach you in the world of the Internet? At Word Girly. All right. Do you have any final comments before you go to okay. So okay, so I will I will make final comments, but I don't know if you want to cut them off because I'm going to tell our audience that we met. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, so Mike and I live on opposite sides of the country, and I just happened to have a reason to be in his in his neck of the woods this past weekend. And so Mike and I got to meet, and um, we went to listen to a lovely friend of his uh, sing some jazz, and it was great. And Mike is awesome. He's like everything that you would think. He's all like smooth and cool, and um, it, it was it was a great good time. Now, Jamie, you said I look like I could be somebody who murders people but i have a soothing voice (laughs) that's right (laughs) so i'm not sure if that's a compliment dude i want you to know i showed your picture to my son and he agrees (laughs) all right (laughs) and it's total compliment because you're a badass all right i am watching chimps with machine guns on the internet so (laughs) that's what that's what badasses do (laughs) All right, Jamie, I know it's late for you, so I'll let you go. And we'll see you next week on 110 Marco on Better Call Saul. Awesome. Bye. (laughs) Bye.